This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 111 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. This week, I'm joined by Brady and David. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Georgia State men's basketball returning to the hardwood when they host UTA Thursday night, some late-breaking football news, and also we'll take on some excellent listener questions this week. But first, gentlemen, check it in. Happy New Year. How are we doing? Doing good. You know, it's weird to... It's been so long since we've had like a Georgia State engagement, but you know, still riding that Camellia Bowl victory high. You know, I have it on good authority that you know a lot of people watch the game, and you know, I spoke to one of our friends this week about it, and he said that somebody came up to them, um, them being the Georgia State band, uh, in the airport when they went to LA for the Rose Parades, and you know, he was kind of shouting them out and really like hyping up Georgia State because they you know watch the game on Christmas obviously so you know it's been a little quiet for other Georgia State athletics the last like week or so but you know that'll pick up here soon hopefully let's keep this train rolling because you know I I want to say that there's a chance this is kind of just the blip and everything gets better and I just don't want to be like it was last year about this time when we were like men's basketball all right conference play is going to start up there go some games up and they're going to be not playing for like three weeks and then eventually got on track and they played through the end of the year but it hit a point last year and i know that is starting to get this way i think for some people uh, myself included at times is that basketball season's kind of a drag right now and just the non-continuity continuity is just it's not ideal and it's the second straight year it's been happening and i just feel like basketball part i think partly it's seasonality like unavoidable just the winter is not a good time for stuff like colds and stuff in a normal year and then you add in this pandemic disease that's been going on and that that not a good formula for it either um and so the last two years football has made it work mostly uh, this year, more than last year, football really went by as normal in the fall, um, just with some absences here or there. Basketball both years has kind of been hammered by it, and this is probably the worst it's ever been just across college basketball, just because there's so many cases and you're having so many canceled games in a way that wasn't happening this time last year, even while it was still more disrupted than, say, the football season last year. Um, and so, you know, I'm just here hoping that this trend just kind of stops, not just for Georgia State, but especially as far as Georgia State is concerned, um, especially as far as us having stuff to talk about is concerned, just because we are a podcast, after all, dedicated to Georgia State. And it would be nice to, to keep the content rolling through January now that football is over. Well, Georgia State will be getting their Sunbelt schedule started when they host the Mavericks of UT Arlington. Uh, this Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, the Panthers Saturday scrap with Texas State has been canceled due to COVID-19 concerns within the Bobcats program. So this is the only basketball uh, this week for for Georgia State. A little bit more info on UTA um, coming in. Like we said, 7 p.m. on Thursday at the Sports Arena. The Mavs are 6-7 on the season and and 2-0 in Sunbelt play after sweeping the Alabama schools at home last week. They're They're coached by Greg Young who is previously an assistant coach for the school from 2009 through last season before taking the head coach job for 2021. UTA's top scorer is David Azor and his 15.9 points per game 
uh, is actually the only Maverick doubling in uh, or finishing in double figures this year and scoring so far. On the Georgia State side, back to full workouts with nine players on Tuesday and could be at full strength on game day, depending more testing results. And quote-unquote full strength does include possibility of Elio Slesemi after he was cleared to practice this week for only the thir- first time this season. His availability in this game is to be dependent, um, but depending on his recovery from his first time back on the court in some time, gentlemen, a lot to talk about in the basketball realm. What are our thoughts heading into Thursday night's game? Honestly, that last thing that you said is the most important thing to me. Uh, I think the way that the team has kind of trended the last few weeks when they were playing, they really missed that inside presence that Eliel Sassemi brought. And so if he is able to suit up, you know, even for a 10-minute stretch in the game, that, you know, that just kind of changes the dynamic of the team in such a such an important way. Um, other than that, I think, you know, last week Georgia State had some complications. And, you know, it was kind of their testing results that caused them to miss the games you know this week they're going to be playing one game and they're not going to be playing against texas state so just you know kind of the same thing that we said earlier in the year when there was a covid pause just you know find a way to get you know your conditioning under you and you know find a way to have that chemistry that you're normally looking for and you normally expect to see out of georgia state and you know if you can come away with a win that you know that's important but for now, it's just about kind of getting your feet underneath you and finding ways to play some, you know, decent basketball. I don't know. I kind of think you need to win. I, I think that the win is kind of just more important that like you're and I say that partly because you've kind of blown a couple of those chances for what David is talking about earlier in the year that there have been some games where it's like, all right, feel it out, get back in the swing of things. You lost some guys and they came back and they lost, you know, they lost against Mercer. And so I and you know, after kind of a, an absence and not so much an absence because of any uh, COVID or anything, but they came back against Mississippi State after a good time off and didn't play very well. And that wasn't you know, those are two different games entirely. Like Mercer was a game you probably expected you could win, whereas Mississippi State wasn't going to be a game that, oh, how did you lose that? Like, obviously, it's still an SEC school, but. I think you're past the point where it can be about that. It's going to kind of have to be, all right, get back on track immediately. And, you know, when I look at UTA, <laughs> it kind of feels like I'm just looking at the same UTA team the last few years. It's, they really hang their hat on the defensive end. And especially of late, they've really struggled as a team offensively. And, you know, this year that equates to being a 26% three-point, per, uh, j- just under 27%, actually. Uh, but good for 342 out of 358 in all of college basketball, uh, which that's been a place that Georgia State has struggled. So Mark, one thing I'm looking for in this game is just like if there's a team that you're suited to kind of work out some of the woes you've been having with defensive rotations and giving up some easy threes, this team doesn't on paper shoot threes very well. And so if if after this game, it's another one where it's like, well, Georgia State gave up a lot of good looks from three and UTA made a lot of them. I feel like it's really the time where I'd start having real concerns about that because it's not a team that should beat you that way. And then, you know, on the other side of things, like I say, they're a good defensive team. They currently number 25 in Division One basketball with just under 44 percent 
two-point field goal percentage allowed, which is crazy good, really good. And the other problem with that is that Georgia State is currently in the bottom 10 in two-point field percentage offensively. And you know, some of that, you know, the, the numbers are skewed by games like the Rhode Island game where you didn't have your full roster. And also just because of the fact that you played three non-Division one games, those aren't counted in those numbers by Ken Palm. And so those that's affecting it. But this is going to be as much of a, all right, we can get things right at the defensive end because this isn't going to team to test you as much, but it's going to be team that throws rocks, tries to get you in the mud uh, with your offense. And so something that's been struggling more than we would want to, especially like what you saw in the Georgia tech game, it's going to be a test offensively. It's got to be. And, you know, I think you're exactly right. I think UTA is one of those teams that just loves to slow everything down. And, you know, that doesn't play into the style that Georgia State wants to play. Um, but at the same time, though, Georgia State is still probably going to find their, there's going to be stretches in the game where UTA is not going to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I'll walk back my comments a little bit. I think you're right. This, as much as a game in the second week or first week of January is a must-win basketball game, this is probably as close to a must-win basketball game as it could be for Georgia State. You know, the season hasn't really gone as you would have expected or, you know, there's for a variety of reasons. You know, health has been a factor. COVID's been a factor. This, that, blah, blah. Um but at the same time, though, you know, you're as far as we know, you're getting as healthy as you can be. You're you know, going to start playing these games in some way, shape or fashion. So if there's games to be there, you know, you got to start racking up the wins. And, you know, I'm hoping and expecting it's going to be a situation like last year where when they were finally healthy and there wasn't COVID to stop them, they're just going to start, you know, kind of rattling off wins. Well, and the other part of it is that. You know, the Texas State game isn't happening on Saturday. And so this is your only opportunity this week. You know, not that I think in any real game situations, Coach Zanier is like, save some energy because it's a Thursday game. And we play in two days. But like mentally, you don't have to even think about playing in two days. Like you can let it all out for what you'd be doing for this week. And it also will be the only game. So if you lose, you're going to be sitting there at 0 and 1 for a whole seven days. Nothing you can do about it. And it's going to just not be a, a good place to sit after already having to sit as long as Georgia, had, Georgia State's had to do without playing games. And so I think when you look at it just as far as a, they need to start winning games point of view, it's a, a game you need to win. I mean, you just put it, look at it from a psyche point of view. I think it's an important game to win, just get the mojo back. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting into the must win business. I, I'm, but uh <laughs> I, I guess the the other part of it, and this is again speaks to there only there's only one game this week, so there's only one opportunity. I put something uh, up on Twitter about this. Is just that we're still in the point where net rankings are swinging pretty heavily. Like, uh, like both had a team drop almost seventy spots in the net in between the first conference game and now, and had another team who went up almost seventy. You know, Louisiana jumped way up. Georgia Southern jumped way down, and. So you're still in the situation where you know, Georgia State winning this one game against UTA might move them from where they are, 244 in the net right now, sizably up closer to where they want to be, and then you stack up some more wins next week. You might be just in a short time about where you want to be in the net rankings. And if Georgia State, I guess it's kind of like 
silly to talk about net rankings and tournament seeding because it hasn't felt like a team that's in that conversation yet. But I do think that stuff like that matters when fans are looking at this and they're seeing, oh, Georgia State's 244 in the net. How is this possible? But I think it's... I think it is very possible that if games start getting in the win column early Sunbelt play, that will fix itself pretty fast and it'll be back to, oh, this is decent. And you don't have to have that little thing hanging, weighing you down, whether that's I don't think that's affecting the the fan, the team. But I am certain that it is something that is on fans minds that it just doesn't feel like the Georgia State on the peak that we think was very possible for this team to be. but. Might be there soon enough. And on the other side of things, you lose this game to UTA, who's currently 241 in the net. You might drop even further, and that's a bigger net noose around your neck, so to speak. It's kind of crazy. Um, you know, when you look at just where Georgia State's season has been, and, you know, kind of, I, I don't use net personally. Um, but, you know, if you look at Ken Palm, there's only one game where they played somebody who, who was lower than them and lost. Every other game that they played, the team that they lost to was rated higher than them. So, and if you look at where they are right this second, they're 149. The, the next highest team that they play, they play Louisiana in a few weeks, and they're currently 152. Obviously, that could change. Obviously, that could go up or Georgia State if they lose. This week could go down and, you know, vice versa. But there's still a really good opportunity for Georgia State to kind of, like Brady said, get kind of their mojo back and kind of use that momentum and go through this season and still end up being, you know, one of the better, if not the best team in the conference. And here's where I kind of say something that might be contrary to a lot of what I just said. It is very possible in the long term, not going on that Arkansas road trip might end up being a positive. I don't think losing games as far as, you know, if Georgia State loses more than four, depending on where the other teams are in terms of average games played, that might drop into the bottom of the bracket. So, you know, hopefully this Texas State game is the last one that gets canceled for any number of reasons. But jumping out the gate, it just Arkansas State was going to be a tough matchup without LEL, and it's the furthest you have to travel on the road. You know, the Texas schools are, were only coming here anyway. There's no return trip for those teams, so you were never going to Texas. It just it felt like two games that were trappy slash. You know, if you want to say Arkansas State trap game, or whether they're just like on an even level when you're playing in Jonesboro. I do wonder long term if everything stays on track, if it's really a bad thing that you didn't have to play those specific games. Just the way that the schedule worked out, it was going to be kind of an awkward road trip. And you want to play every game. You want to get games together. And that's why from now on, it's important that hopefully they're just this one more little speed bump on the way to a normal conference schedule for Georgia State. But and then, you know, the last thing I didn't really touch on my first thing and David mentioned, I don't really know. With LEL, like, I'm not going into this game expecting him to play at all just because that's just been the mode just because he hasn't been playing. And so if he enters in this game, that'd be awesome. Obviously, even if it is for a little bit, I think it'll just make a difference just for him to be out there with everyone and they can hear his voice. I know Coach Lanier talked about just having him out there during practice and having him shouting on the court made a difference for them because, you know, he just brings that energy that pretty much is unique to LAL Sisemi on this roster. 
And so for this game, if it happens, awesome. I'm still kind of expecting just in my own personal point of view, his debut to be when they go on the road to Alabama schools next week. But it would certainly be nice to see LEL back out there for Georgia State. I we've we've made so much of it, but I think that it is the case of when he's out there at full strength. I really do think you're going to see a different Georgia State. Hey, you know what? Like I said, I'll take a five to ten minute like performance this game. Just just get anything, any amount of production out of him. Just you know, help him get his legs underneath him because that would just be so important and beneficial for the team moving forward. Well, in some football news, uh, late-breaking news is the recording of this podcast on Wednesday. Uh, Georgia State wide receiver Cornelius McCoy has entered the transfer portal. He leaves Georgia State fourth in career receptions and receiving yards with 148 and 1,809, respectively. It's also tied for eighth all-time with 10 receiving touchdowns. We do have some happier news to share. Malik Sumter officially announced on Twitter he is returning for another season in 2022. Gentlemen, some football roster news. Uh, one, you know, kind of on, on opposite sides of the spectrum from each other. What's your reaction to this development in Georgia State football land? Well, the Malik news, we kind of knew. Uh, it had gotten reported in the AJC uh, by Stan Autry. And so it's, it wasn't necessarily surprising. Mm-hmm. It was still nice to see it in his own words. Like, and it is always fun when these guys get to make their own announcements. And I thought it was interesting in the announcement that he was like, I'm coming back for a Sunbelt title. Like, it is the spoken thing still. We, we got some of that in the lead up to this season. And so it's going to be kind of the talking point from the team every year until it happens. But it is still what's driving guys to come back, that they still want that goal and that's still their goal. And so he's going to be a big part of that. You've still got your center that you can rely on that. He's done a stellar job as George state Panther. And then, you know, on the other side of things, I will say I'm not completely shocked, particularly after Sam Pinckney entered the portal. I think this one with Cornelius McCoy doesn't surprise me a ton. It just for the same reasons as Sam would want to leave. I think, Cornelius has got one more year to kind of put his name out there uh, for any pro prospects he wants. And I just don't think that either of them looked at the situation and said, I can definitely reliably count on this offense to get me X number of receptions this year and X number of chances to show what I can do. And so, you know, best of luck to him with that. I'm sure he'll have some FBS suitors. He's been a really reliable receiver when he's been healthy for Georgia State. And I guess the last thing I would just mention now is just it is a bummer that he didn't really get the 2021 season in full. He had a lot of hamstring injuries he kept uh, battling through. He got a catch in the bowl game, so it's nice that he kind of got a moment to finish out the year. He was playing more healthily as the season wrapped up, but it, it was along with Sam Pickney's injuries, which we, I think we probably gave more airtime to Cornelius McCoy early in the year, wasn't healthy. And that also definitely had an impact for the team, the offense that he wasn't able to be out there either. It's definitely interesting. Uh, just kind of, if you look at the, you know, the way that the Georgia state offense next season is shaping up to be, um, I just, I don't know, you know, I think a lot of people will want to worry about it and they want to sit here and say, you know, the wide receiver room has definitely taken a step back, which I won't argue that point. I think that is 
you are losing a lot of talent, you know, with the loss of Sam Pinckney and the loss of Cornelius McCoy. But I also understand that the way that this offense wants to go, I would be much more worried if, you know, you had a lot of offensive linemen transferring, like the good ones, or if Tucker Gregg was transferring or, you know, Jam Williams was transferring. Um, I think for Georgia State, like, like I've said it before, for Georgia State to reach that next level offensively, they're going to have to find a better passing game. Doesn't matter who's under center. Doesn't matter. Um, you know, we know that they're going to be able to run the ball, but unless they are truthfully being the best rushing team in the country, you're you're going to need to pass the ball. You're going to need to have an effective and dynamic passing offense that we have not seen from Georgia State. Sorry, we did not see from them this year. Um, and I know that that's something obviously that you know Coach Elliott's going to hammer home with guys all off season and you know they're gonna him and the, you know the new offensive coordinator are gonna find they're gonna find the solution to that because i know that you know like brady just mentioned with the sumter news like you know you georgia state still the goals are still to win a sunbelt championship um but i think for now for right now you know unless there's a transfer that's gonna come in and that you know we don't know about I think you're just going to have to develop the guys that you have here. And in saying that, it's not like there is a dearth of talent, you know, like there are talented receivers on this team. It's just, you you know, you've got to be able to find them when they're open. They've got to, you know, win their battles, win those one-on-one matchups. And, you know, whoever is the quarterback, Granger, you know, uh, Keelan Brown next year, you know, they're just going to have to find a way to get the ball to them and make them, allow them to make plays. And, you know, given the offensive play style that I think Georgia State is going to want to employ, I still think, you know, for now, the talent that's here is going to be fine. Yeah, I want to pick up on one of the things you said and say that, I didn't think that a wide receiver transfer was super likely when the news was just Sam leaving. I do think that the probability that a receiver comes in now is a lot higher. I don't want to put a percentage on it. I don't have anyone in mind in particular that it would be, but it would not surprise me losing two guys that you consider maybe the most veteran of that group. I, it would not surprise me if this is a situation where, all right, let's check out the market. Let's see who's there, who wants to come and, I don't think it's something you have to do. I think that there's still, you know, guys, six guys, according to 247 Sports, that were three-star wide receivers, a couple of whom, Kaius Cradle and Jamari Thrash, who showed you something this year. And you've got younger guys. You know, Robert Lewis hasn't played a ton, but he kind of showed up when he has played, and he got a touchdown in the bowl game. You got some other guys. Talik Williams got the touchdown late in the App State game. Jacob Freeman... You know, you've got guys that maybe haven't played a lot, but I think no matter if you got the news about Sam or Cornelius or both this year, in 2022, you're going to be looking to see a little bit more growth from those guys anyway and asking them to do a little bit more. And so now maybe you're asking for even more, even more than that, but you always had these guys that were younger that you were thinking were going to be stepping up at some point. And so I, I don't know who it's going to be, but I'm still in a situation where I look at it and I say, there's guys that can make these plays for you. I'm kind of like with David, you know, I I don't think that this is um, some, it's not something you can ignore the effect of like obviously losing both matters, but by the time we get to the first game, 2022, I think 
we'll look at the receiving room, we'll look at the depth chart and be like, yeah, this group can get you the production you need. So we had a couple of excellent listener questions this week submitted, first of all, by Sid from California. Do a tier list of every Sunbelt basketball arena. Now, I personally have only ever been to the Georgia State Sports Arena, so I'm going to ping pong this out to the rest of the gentlemen here on the call with me. Brady, I'd like to start with you. What do you have prepared for us? All right, so I'm going to build this up like a pyramid, starting at the bottom, go to the top. Um, going to use the, uh, I don't know what the website's called, the, the S tier down to D tier or whatever, tier maker. Is that what it's called? Tier maker, I think it is, yeah. I could have probably guessed that. <laughs> um, so the D tier, I'm going to say, you know, the arenas that exist, the arenas that are basketball arenas, including Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, and I will include the hometown Georgia State Panthers in that. I mean, the sports arena is what it is. Uh, we don't need to beat around the bush about that, but that's also why they're building a new arena. It, the C tier... I will call the arenas that I recognize are better than the sports arena currently, but I still wouldn't necessarily want to do a swap like for, for good. And in the C tier, I've got Arkansas States Arena, Little Rocks Arena, ULM, and Texas States Arena. In the B tier, which I would say are the arenas that like right now I would swap Georgia State, like I think they're quality arenas in the Sun Belt. I've got Louisiana, South Alabama, Appalachian State, and then in the A tier, which I would say are the kind of the standard that Georgia State should be hoping to meet when they have their new arena open, I've got Troy and UTA. And I don't have anyone in S tier. I don't think that there's an S tier arena in the Sun Belt. And I also don't think there's that many S tier like basketball arenas anyway. I think if you were going to do like rankings of all different sports. I just think anywhere that's outdoor inherently has a better chance of being that type of you know, baseball stadiums can be S tier, you know, at a higher percentage and football stadiums just because they're outdoors and there's more scenery and you're not enclosed by the arena. So I don't even necessarily fault the Sunbelt for it. I just think you kind of got to be like that iconic old or just like the super, super nice indoor arenas to kind of hit that super best of the best S tier. This is such a loaded question. Because, um, like, you know, as Taylor said, like, I've only been to two of these stadiums. Um, but I've watched a few games, obviously, and all of them. So while I can't necessarily give, like, a full rankings, um, I will say, you know, like, I think, like, I like Arkansas State Stadium. You know, I think Louisiana, despite, you know, that rivalry, I think their stadium also looks pretty good. Um you know, the Sunbelt kind of is plagued with a lot of their indoor, you know, their basketball facilities. Like, some of them really have that same atmosphere that, like, the sports arena have. And, you know, it's it's a nice charm, I will say. Uh, but it's very much like, you know, these are stadiums that are in, like, these random gyms. Um, you know, like, as much as we don't like Georgia Southern on this podcast, or, you know, whatever. Like, Georgia Southern's field house is very interesting i will say um you know so love the tier love the tears <laughs> yes these are the tears um and then you know the last one i think like south alabama is like that you know those are all like just really good stadiums you know so other than that the rest are just kind of there they're, you know nothing too special they're not like bad or anything but you know it's, it's just okay it's places where people play college basketball 
But I, I do want to say, I do think Troy and UTA, like I think they're newer arenas and both of them did a really nice job building them. Troy is like architecturally, like there's a, it doesn't look like a basketball arena in certain parts when you look at the exterior. It's a really nice job they did. I, I just want to, and that's the one I've actually been to. I've been to Troy and I've been to Georgia Southern and I've been to Georgia State. And so the rest of them I kind of did on spec online. And then um, I don't know who was supposed to read this for, but uh, we actually had Jordan from the road send us his. Starting with the D tier. Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern. Uh, the C tier, ULM, Texas State, Georgia State. Uh, B tier, USA, UTA, App State, and A State. As well as ULL, Troy, and UALR in the A tier. Uh, I actually, I'm mistaken, I have been to Troy's arena. Very nice. I would agree with that, uh, that high ranking. for. And I also... I do have the editor's note from Jordan that he put Georgia State in the C tier on atmosphere. He recognizes kind of where it's at vis-a-vis the other ones that were in the D tier, but he wanted to give Georgia State credit for the atmosphere. And, you know, I think we can all agree, like when there's a full house in the sports arena, that atmosphere kind of raises the charm past what it is usually, which is it is what it is. is. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how much more diplomatically we can rephrase it other than saying we're excited for a new stadium coming next season. Uh, We also had a secondary question from Sam from Atlanta. If you could add one former GSU football player to next year's roster, who puts the team over the top in the Sun Belt? Do not say Dan. I was wondering if that was a, don't say Dan because he's on the coach in this hypothetical scenario and he can't be a coach and a player at the same time or if you're just because quarterback's the cop-out answer. But I appreciate the uh, the parameters of this. And it also lines up really well because the Cornelius McCoy news kind of changed, possibly changed my answer. Um, I have three that I narrowed it down to. Cornerback uh, Shandon Sullivan is in the NFL, plays for the Packers. I think you can't really say no to it, adding a guy in maybe a – thinner position group that you could trust on the outside. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it did not change my answer. Um, But another option would be, especially maybe more choosy now, would be getting Penny Hart or Robert Davis, guy who can add some consistency to the receiver room going into next year. But I'm going to stick with my original answer. Running back Trey Barnett. And... I think that it's maybe counterintuitive because you've got jam and you've got Tucker and that's true. And without, you know, this hypothetical situation won't happen. And Georgia state was still going to be fine running the football. But I look back to the year where Trey went off for a thousand yards, 2019, and you had the three headed monster of him and Destin Coates and Seth page. And if he were on this team, he'd be the, the Trey Barnett role. You'd have, Tucker kind of sliding into what Destin did and you'd have jam as kind of the home run hitter, like what Seth page was in 2019. I think you just build your strength on your strength and just make the running game that much even better and add the guy who probably is at the best top line speed of any Georgia state running back. Well, now I feel silly because even, you know, before the Cornelius McCoy news, my answer was going to be penny Hart. You know, I think a guy like penny who is just able to, almost always get separation in his matchups would just be incredibly helpful. And I think that that level of just domination in, you know, the one-on-one game is just something that would help this Georgia State team out so much. You know, I think some of the better teams weren't able to necessarily uh, shy away from 
stopping Georgia State's wide receivers. And, you know, Georgia State kind of had to scheme some of their plays to the outside. And, you know, that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that specifically. Um, but, you know, if you have a guy like Penny who doesn't allow you to do something like that, you know, someone who is that dynamic, I think – there's definitely room for the Georgia State offense to open up if you have him on the team. So, you know, I, I'd easily pick Penny before the McCoy news, and, you know, I'm sticking with that. Like, I, I actually really like the Trey Barnett comment because, you know, that just makes this already nasty rushing team even better when you've got a home run hitter like Trey. So, but, you know, I think Penny is definitely the guy. See, when we always have these, I'm iffy, like 50-50, that me and David are going to say the exact same thing or me and David are going to take it in different interesting directions. And I'm always glad when it ends up being interesting and different like this one. And in Sports Bits news, uh, the women's team also had both of their scheduled games against Arkansas schools canceled last week. The current slated to open the conference schedule at Coastal Carolina tip-off at 2 p.m. Eastern. This is after their scheduled road game Thursday at Appalachian State got canceled due to COVID concerns in App's program. Light week of Georgia State Sports Bits news for us here at the Thursday Night Sports Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you next weekend. Go Panthers. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, ThursdayNight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.